The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. It was a few years ago, my wife and I had just bought our town home and we were going to have our first Christmas in our new home. And so I decided that, of course, in order for it to be a great Christmas, obviously, you need a real Christmas tree. Okay, so I went to the one place that you can find good quality at a good price, Costco. (laughs) Now, if you've ever been to Costco, they do Christmas trees a little differently, right? They just say basically, hey, pay us, trust us. All right, you go to the outside there, they have their, their, their uh, truck that pulled up with all the trees. They don't cut them open for you unless you ask. They just hand them to you. It's all the same price, right? And so I'm standing in line and I notice the guy up front. And in a few minutes, he actually notices me and I realize, oh, it's an old friend of mine. He calls me up. He's like, hey man, how are you doing? What's going on? Here, you're looking for a tree, right? Yeah, of course. C- come up here, I got the right one for you. And I follow him and like walk past the whole line. Like I'm this important person. And I'm like, all right, what do you got? He's like, dude, we save all the really good trees. Okay. They're in the back. All right. We pass these out to our families. And so, all right. So now you guys know, by the way, if you ever go to Costco, be like, Hey, give me the ones in the back. None of this. Okay. I know, I know you guys how we work around here. And he goes and he comes back with this tree. And I'm telling you, it is amazing. All right. There's no bad side to this tree. And it's just towering over me. And I'm looking at it, and I'm then picturing myself Christmas morning. I'm in my Christmas PJs. My wife's in her Christmas PJs. We got our hot cocoa and our coffee. And we're laughing. And it's just the best Christmas morning ever. And she turns to me, and she's like, Josh, this is the best Christmas I've ever experienced. And it's because of this Christmas tree, right? Like, this is the tree I had to buy. It, I was sold. And I said, I'll take it. I end up calling my brother-in-law. I'm like, hey, I'm going to need help getting this tree in the house. And as we're walking in with the tree, I felt that stare. Now, if you're married, if you have a wife, you know exactly what kind of stare I'm talking about, okay? It's the stare of, what did he do? (laughs) He has made a mistake. He doesn't know it yet. But I do, and I'm waiting to see when he's going to figure that out, right? That kind of stare. And I'm just ignoring it. I'm walking in with this most magnificent, beautiful tree. I stick it in the Christmas tree stand, and I push it up, and then the top caves in on itself. And I'm looking at it like, not a problem. I go to the back. I grab a knife. I'm going to fix this, all right? It's a beautiful tree. And I start cutting away at the top of the tree, probably about two feet off of the top. And then I cut it open and it's perfect. Only takes about a third of our living room, all right? And at this point, of course, my wife is like, what are we going to do with this tree? We're not keeping this. So we did what anyone would do. I called my parents and said, hey, we decided to buy you a Christmas tree this year for Christmas. (laughs) Only thing is, a little weird, you're not going to have anywhere to put your angel this year. There's no tip for whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, Looks like they chopped the top off there, and we're going to bring it over for you. All joking aside, they were super gracious. They took it from us because there was no way we were going to keep that tree. Why do I share that story with you this morning? Well, because... That salesperson, that friend, he didn't know it, nor did he necessarily mean it, but he didn't sell me a tree. 
He sold me happiness, right? He sold me contentment. He sold me joy, like all the emotions that I want to experience with Christmas. And any good salesperson or marketer, they'll tell you, you don't sell people products. You sell people's lifestyles with the products, right? You somehow convince them that their life is going to be greater if they were to buy this from you. And if you were to poll the world right now, they would probably on average tell you, that's the goal of life. That the goal that we're all aiming for is happiness, contentment, joy, prosperity, all the buzzwords. Now, the way in which you get there, no one knows. Or everyone has a different way. And you see what people try to use or to buy or to engage in to try to achieve what they're actually after, the contentment the joy, the prosperity. And the way in which everyone goes about it in this world is always different, but the Bible makes it abundantly clear. There's really only two paths, one of which leads to all of those things that we're seeking. It says very plain and simply, there's two paths. One that leads towards the, the life that you're looking for, the contentment, the joy, the prosperity, the blessing, all those things, all the above. And then there's one other path, and it's the opposite. It's an evil path, a wicked path that leads towards sadness and despair and death. And that it's possible for you to know exactly what two paths those are and to know exactly what path you're on and to know exactly what the destinations of those two paths are. It's Psalms chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And so if you're not there already, go ahead and turn there with me. We'll, we'll begin by reading the first two verses. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. All right, pause right there. Your attention for a moment. Let's look at those first four words. Blessed is the man. That word blessed, let's not pass over that. I feel like nowadays that, that word has been somewhat belittled or maybe overused because we think of blessed and we think of like hashtag blessed, right? Like I bought a new jet ski, hashtag I am blessed. I'm a blessed person. But what the original language here, the Hebrew is trying to convey with that word is an immense amount of blessing. It can be translated to happy is the man or content is the man or great joy does this man have. It's actually plural too. So it's meant to communicate a multiplicity of blessings. Like we can't shortchange this word. It is a blessed man. This guy's happy, content, joy-filled. He's got everything that he could ever need and more. And it says, blessed is the man. Not blessed is the rich person or blessed is the scholar or blessed is the, the king. No, it's a person. It's attainable for all. And it begins not by saying, okay, this blessed person is, or this blessed person does. It begins by saying what this blessed person does not do. The blessed person is identified not just by what he does, but what he also avoids. And it gives us three things. It says, 
Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. If you've got a Bible there with you, go ahead and underline those three verbs, walks, stands, and sits. Three verbs to communicate a progression of someone, a path that someone's going down on. Now, if you've ever seen a movie where a teenager is hanging out with his friends, harmless, and then some guy pulls up on a hot rod and he just, he just looks sketchy, right? And he calls a teenager over to him and he's got some advice for him or some thoughts to share with him. And you already know where that movie's going. You're like, oh boy, is this kid going to take that advice? Is he going to go down that path? And we kind of already know how that path's going to end. We've seen that movie a hundred times. This is what it's communicating here. It's that he's first walking in the counsel of the wicked. It's someone who goes and is seeking advice, trying to figure out life, trying to figure out how to find those things that they're, they're looking for, whether it be the joy or the contentment or the prosperity, whatever it may be. They go and they seek advice and they get counsel from the wicked. They receive wicked counsel. They receive evil counsel from somebody. And they don't know it's wicked. They don't know it's evil. So they, they walk in it. They take it, and they start walking through life with that counsel, with that advice, to the point where they're now standing in the way of sinners. They're hanging around that group of people. I, picture of, I have a picture of uh, the wrong place at the wrong time crimes, where people get punished for things that they didn't necessarily do, they're not necessarily guilty of, but because they are around the people that were. They are now being influenced by that group, influenced by that crowd, and they're becoming more like them to the point where they are now sitting at the seat of scoffers. They're sitting. They're comfortable in that group. In fact, they are now indistinguishable from them. They are now the person giving the bad advice because they are now so settled in with that group of people. That word scoffer there is actually oftentimes used as mocker, but in this context, it's used to, to communicate a mocker of God and God's ways. So this person not only down, went down that path and followed that advice, they became one of them. They're giving the advice. They're influenced by the people around them. They're mocking the other path. They are mocking the other way. They're mocking the ways of God. What's the other path? How do you get down that other path, if you will? Well, this is where I think Christians oftentimes make a mistake, where the church oftentimes falls into a trap. Because I think it's sometimes pretty obvious that that would be the bad path, usually, right? Like our grandmothers probably told us, be careful who you hang around with because you're going to become like them. First Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. We are influenced by the people who are around, right? So as people who are in the church, we recognize that. And so instead of going down that path, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to go seek counsel from the godly. We're going to go seek counsel from people who are in church, hoping that we would now stand in the way of righteousness, stand in the way of righteous people and be influenced by that group, by that crowd of people. And then hopefully we get to the point where we are now sitting at the seat of righteous people. People view us as righteous people. So now people come to us for godly advice. Now it sounds good on the surface, 
Because those things aren't necessarily wrong. We absolutely should be going to godly counsel for advice. Like that absolutely should be our instinct. But that's not how you get on the blessed path. What you end up with is someone who is just mimicking the behavior of the people around them rather than developing their own relationship with God. And what's scary about that is when man then fails, which is inevitable because we're all sinners, their God does. I remember in college, I discovered this website called Mathway. Now, some of you, if you're in college right now or in high school, you're welcome, okay? If you haven't heard of it, it's incredible, all right? You type in the, the problem, and it solves it for you and gives you the steps and the breakdown as to how to solve it, all right? If you never experienced that, you're probably like, why didn't they have that in when I was in school? Like, what on earth? And I was like, all right, I'm in college algebra at the moment. I'm going to do all my homework with this beautiful thing, right? I'm plugging in all the pro pro problems. I'm getting hundreds on all my homework, which was great until the test came. And I didn't know anything. And 10% of my grade was the homework, and 60% of my grade was the tests. It was useless. And I think that's what happens when we just start to mimic behavior. There's nothing developed inside of us. And so what is... The other path. How do you get on the other path? What does that look like? What well, tells us verse two again? I'll read it. But his delight, the blessed man's delight, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. His delight. What does that word mean? Well, it's defined in the Hebrew as someone with intense gratification or satisfaction in something. This person craves and longs for, desires and delights in the law of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't wake up in the morning thinking, I want to read some laws today, <laughs> right? Maybe a few of you are lawyers in the room. Great. We need people like you that love the law. But what is he referring to here? Well, he's more specifically referring to God's instruction, the instruction of the Lord, the law of the Lord, which is found all through the Bible, not just in the law that's written in the scripture, but also through the stories that are told. You learn about who God is and how God operates. You learn about his instruction to his people all throughout scripture. So what it's saying is here, here you should, this blessed man should have an intense gratification and satisfaction in God's word and meditate on it day and night. Meditate, what does that mean? Well, I think we oftentimes fall back to the idea of Eastern meditation, where you seek to empty your mind of all thoughts, to clear your mind. Which, by the way, I don't know if it's possible. If you can do that, that's impressive. If you have young kids, I feel like that's impossible. Okay? The Bible is not telling you to clear your mind. The Bible is saying to fill it. To fill it with God's word. And to meditate on it day and night. It's not saying read it all day and all night, and then you'll experience blessings. It's saying, no, read it so you can then chew on it. Process it. Think about it. Let it like, rub around in your brain and try to process what it actually means and then let it communicate down to your heart. 
Let it change you from the inside out. That's what this blessed person does. So then when they do come across the the counsel of the wicked, they're not alarmed by it. In fact, they're influencing them because they've already been changed from the inside out. They have the truth. They have the blessing. They have what that person's looking for. They have wisdom and discernment to know when there's someone giving them poor advice. He then continues by giving us a picture an illustration of what these two people and these two paths look like. Look with me at verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Listen to this. And all that he does, he prospers. So the Bible essentially lays out two paths and what you could define them as is the path of God and the path of man. And that if you follow the path of God, you are like a tree planted by streams of water. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, a tree planted by a stream of water, it never lacks nourishment. It never runs dry. It's always incredibly healthy. It's always growing. And then eventually in time, in its season, it bears fruit signs of its healthiness. It never withers. Its roots are strong. They're gripping the soil. So when storms and difficulties come its way, it isn't shaken. It's not moved because it's rooted well next to the streams of water. It's also speaking to multiple streams of water and signifying that when one dries up, there's another. It never runs out. It has more than it could ever possibly imagine. And that blessed person, the tree that's planted by those streams of water, and all that they do, it will prosper. Man, I don't know about you, but I want to prosper. That word prosper there is more of a broader word in the Hebrew. He's communicating this broad term of just extreme blessing. You're prospering in everything, not just what we tend to think of as financial, not just financial. It's in all areas of life. That person is prosperous. This person who's planted by streams of water, they don't just have the Midas touch where everything they touch turns to gold because it prospers because that person is the blessed person. It, touch, it turns to gold when I touch it. No, it's that even when the storms come, they know they, who They serve a God who loves to redeem all. And so even in the difficulties, this person is steady, healthy, unshaken, unmoved, knowing that everything is going to be used for God's purpose. He continues this illustration and tells us what the other side's destination is, what the other wicked path ends up becoming. We'll read verses 4 through 6 and finish the chapter. He says this, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. He closes by saying, the wicked, they're like chaff. What's chaff? Well, it's the the dead parts of Corn that in ancient times when they would harvest the corn, it was 
useless. It was considered dead. They would cut it away. It would blow in the wind. It was so useless, in fact, that they would generally use it just to throw it in the fire as fuel for a fire. It's dead. It's gone. And so he's laying out two destinations, two paths, and he's reemphasizing here, the psalmist, he's reemphasizing this idea that God knows the way of the righteous. Man thinks they know. Man thinks they have a path that works for them, that's going to work, and it's going to be a great destination at the end because that's what they're running after. But only God knows the way of the righteous. And that's why the blessed person delights in his instruction, delights in his word. I don't know about you guys, but when I read a passage like this, I immediately am wrestling with which path am I on? What destination do I have? And then I start thinking about my own relationship with God's word. I'm like, okay, I, I, I've read it recently. I mean, I, does that count? Like, like what, at what point uh, do, do I qualify? Like, do I read it 10 times a month or five times a month or 20 times a month? Like, at what point do I qualify to be considered that blessed person? And nowadays, too, with the invention of the internet and the invention of, of social media, it feels like it's, more e it's easier now more than ever to walk in the counsel of the wicked. It was just the other day when I was uh, in the kitchen and, I'm, uh, and I pulled up YouTube and decided I needed to try to figure out how to fix my dishwasher. Next thing you know, I'm watching funny cat videos and how to say hello in 50 different languages. Okay, I went down the YouTube rabbit hole. But what's scary is that is the place. The internet is the place where predominantly our culture goes to for spiritual and theological advice. How do you know what the truth is? How do you know what path you're on? How do you know how to, to distinguish between the two? We need discernment. We need wisdom to really know what I'm getting because the internet is just another way. It's an amplified way in which we can go and get counsel in anything. And we're at the point now with the internet where we can convince ourselves of anything via Google, right? Some of the craziest things. So how do we know what path we're on? How do we stay on the right path? Well, I want to remind you of something. If you've been coming to church for any period of time, you've heard this before. And if this is the first time, then praise God. But I want to remind you of the gospel. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the word in the flesh, the word of God embodied. John chapter one, and the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is the embodied word of God, and he came and he lived a perfect, blessed life. Then at the end of it, died on the cross for our sins on our behalf, paying the price for our sins, being the person who takes on all our sins and dies for us, a perfect sacrifice, and then he rose again the third day and is now seated above in heaven at the right hand of God, his true place. And he says, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so there's one thing you remember from this sermon today. There's one thing you take away. I want you to jot this down, write this down, and remember this and process this this week. 
through faith in Jesus, you are the blessed person. You are the blessed person. You don't always feel like you're the blessed person. And I think sometimes that's because we misplace our desires and cravings. You see, we'll, we'll desire contentment, but we'll look to that object to provide it. When in the reality, we go to Jesus. We go to God's word. We look for happiness and we go to a relationship rather than going to God's word. But you are the blessed person. You are the tree planted by streams of water thanks to Jesus, through faith in Jesus. That is who you are. Now, do you live as such? Do you drink of the streams of water that you're planted right next to, or do you still look to other things? Because through the gospel, you are a tree planted by streams of water. So this morning, I want to speak to three different types of people, three different types of people that I believe are, are each in this room. And the, the first group of people I want to speak to is this, the people that have maybe never touched or opened up the Bible before. Maybe you've done it once or twice. Maybe you've done it a couple times throughout your, your walk with the Lord, but you just, you really would consider yourself as someone who has never opened up the Bible. And I don't want to pretend to understand why, but I'll, I'll shoot some guesses. Maybe there's fear. Maybe God's word has been used or maybe even abused against you in a negative way. Maybe there's, there's just guilt. Maybe you open it up one time and you're like, oh, okay, don't know what that means. Let's not do that again. And you feel guilty that you haven't opened up your Bible again. And then maybe there's some shame in it. Shame and insecurities. Maybe you feel like, I'm just, I'm just not the person that can read the Bible. I need it explained to me. I, I, and there's shame in that. You just feel like I'm incapable of reading God's word. Fear, insecurities, guilt, shame, whatever it may be. Again, I would first remind you of the gospel. I would say, remember, you have a clean slate. So the shame and guilt, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is not from the Lord. That might be from yourself or maybe the enemy. Because you can walk into fresh, anew. His mercies are new. Every morning, you can open up the Bible and say, all right, what do you have for me, Lord? Not worrying about when the last time you wa it was you opened up your Bible. And just to address that insecurity or that, that, uh, that guilt that you might have, not feeling like you can understand it, I just want to clear the air here for a moment. Okay, because sometimes I think we go to the church, go to church, and we're like, all right, I can't read the Bible. That's why I need to come here and get it explained to me. And uh, everyone clearly can read the Bible and understand it around me. So uh, I'm the outlier here. And so I, wanna, I want you guys for a moment, if you have ever read the Bible and didn't understand what you read, and then maybe even close it right after, I want you to raise your hand, okay? You have to be honest, you're in church and the pastor's raising his hand, that means you should feel comfortable enough to raise your hand, all right? And if you're not raising your hand right now, you're a liar. You're a liar, okay? And we're taking note. I have people in the back. Okay, he didn't raise his hand. She didn't raise his hand. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We are all on the same boat there. There's a lot of two plus two in the Bible equals four. 
And you're like, man, that is profound. That's amazing. And you read verses like Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And you're like, I get that. That's great. Even though there's still a lot of depth that will take a lifetime to fully process and understand, I still, I still get it. Like it's a good starting point. But there's also a lot of algebra in the Bible. And if you don't endeavor to learn 2 plus 2 equals 4, the algebra suddenly looks like gibberish. Nothing makes sense. And so know that you're in good company. You're surrounded by people that are in the same place as you. And I think sometimes we come to church and we also look at the pastor and it's like, man, how can he just like talk about Psalms 1 like that? That's crazy. And we think or assume, oh, uh, hey, can you do Psalms 1 tomorrow? And I'm yeah, I got that. I read it like 10 times yesterday. What a coincidence. And I go up here and I'm just like, guys, Psalms 1, let me, let me uh, okay, let me just talk. No, I found out I was teaching on Psalms 1 two months ago, and I've been studying it ever since. I study it. We all are in the same boat, and we all, through faith in Jesus, have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that helps us understand God's Word. And so my encouragement to you, if you haven't read, opened up the Bible, you haven't opened it up in a long time, whatever, my encouragement to you is this, just start. Just start. Five minutes a day is a great starting point. Say, all right, I'm going to read every day for five minutes. Set a timer if you have to. Read one verse. But it gives you something to meditate day and night on. Read that one verse. If it's difficult to understand, meditate on it longer. Read it again. But think about it. Process it five minutes a day. And watch. I challenge you. Watch how God will begin to use that. Romans chapter 10, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of God. The more you read it, the more you process it, the more your faith grows, the more your desire is strengthened and it no longer becomes a thought that you wrestle with or something I should do or maybe I shouldn't do or I don't want to do. It becomes a longing and that when you miss it, you really miss it. The second group of people I want to speak to are the people that Maybe you've been going to church for a long time. Maybe you're still newer, but you read it from time to time. You're not, you don't have a good habit of it. You're not consistent with it, but you, you pick it up from time to time. Studies show, statistics tell us that that's probably about 75 to 80% of you in this room. The, st the statistic goes like this, 20 to 25% of regular church attenders may open up their Bible one to two times that week. It's not great. So again, we are all on the same boat here. There's a clear struggle for Americans, and I think in our church from time to time too, in consistently reading God's word. And so since that's most of us here in this room, I have three challenges for us. The first one is this, be a student of the word. Be a student of the word. Your intake of God's word is, there's no way around it, is directly correlated to your spiritual growth. And what we oftentimes do, again, we come into it like, why don't I know everything already? Like, I don't want to have to work at it. I want to just understand it. But what we're doing is, is looking at God's word and saying, I should understand it all. Now, if you understood God's word perfectly, that should concern you, 
okay? If you suddenly just know all of God's word and it doesn't, it's not difficult for you to understand, you might start to get a little worried that it's not God's word, right? We need to walk into it in a posture of, I'm here to study it. I'm a student. I need to learn. We don't walk into our science classes and our math classes like, all right, I'm going to read this uh, book and I'm already going to know everything that's in there. So why even read it? Or I'm going to read this and I'm going to understand it all. No, you're there to study. You are there to learn. And so that needs to be our, our posture, a humble posture and approach to reading God's word. I'm just a student. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. This is our calling as believers, to rightly handle God's word, to, to parse the scriptures and, and seek to understand and to meditate on it, to really let it sink in and change our hearts. Secondly, I would challenge you with this, develop the habit Develop the habit. Now, this goes hand in hand with the just five minutes a day, depending on where you're at. But if you're reading once or twice a week, at most, you're in the same boat. You've got to develop the habit. One tool or resource I would point you to is on our CityRev app, we have something called Word Habit. And all it is is a notification. And we've already set up a reading plan, a chapter each weekday through the whole year. And you can get that notification straight to your phone so you have a reading plan you're on and a reminder to do so and read each morning. But I would encourage you, start that habit. And it may be the word habit reading plan, maybe it's another, but pick one. You've got to develop the habit and figure out creative ways, practical ways that'll help you do so. Maybe you set up the, the room the previous night so that way you can read that morning. Maybe you lay the Bible out at the chapter you're supposed to be at. You program the coffee maker. You set the alarm. You put a little blanket on your couch because you know if there's something off, I'm going to get distracted and I'm going to go do it. Set the room. Do whatever it takes to start doing it consistently. And before you know it, you'll have a habit. But that's the discipline, the diligence we're called to. We need to do it. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. And thirdly, the third point is don't focus on the outcome. Focus on the identity. Don't focus on the outcome. The outcome of prosperity and contentment and joy and happiness. Okay, now that I know that's the, the way I get it, it's easy to make the mistake and make that the goal. You're not reading God's word so you achieve those things. No, that, what we've done there is just create an idol in our hearts unintentionally through the Bible. So when it fails and the next day we don't suddenly feel perfect and content, we blame the Bible or we get frustrated or we, get, we feel like it's not working and we put it away. No, the idol's failing you, not God. It bears fruit in its season. And here's the reality. This passage tells us, if you're a follower of Jesus, your desire is as a blessed person. It is for God's law or God's word. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So your desire is for God's word. Sometimes, again, it's just misplaced. Focus on the identity, who you are in God. Can I remind you? that you are a son or a daughter of God, a child of God. 
a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. You have experienced more grace and forgiveness and mercy than anyone has ever experienced in the history of this world. That's you in the name of Jesus. You have been forgiven, slate wiped clean. There's no guilt or shame that should ever exist in your mind and in your heart again. And when it does, you bring that to the foot of the cross. That's who you are in Jesus. And your goal and desire behind reading God's word is to seek to know God all the more. To know and understand your creator, your maker. And you'll start to discover purpose as a result of it. And yes, you will prosper in all that you do because your delight is in God's word and God's law. Focus on the identity, not the outcome. And the third and final group of people I want to speak to are the people that are here and maybe you're, you're someone that's like, Josh, this is awesome, this is great, that's me. I, I agree with you. I, I read 30 minutes hour every day and I, I can't get enough of it. And I never miss it because I, I wouldn't miss it. And that, that's exactly where I'm at. I love that. We're thankful for people like you here in this church. My encouragement and challenge to you is to continue delighting in him and encourage others here to do the same. Make God's word a regular topic of conversation. Help make City Rev in the, the fuge and in our small groups and in our communities. You just can't wait to talk about what God is showing you and saying to you, not just on Sunday mornings through the sermons, but on Monday through Saturday in your time with him. Talk about it. In a way, wet the palates of the other believers and show them, hey, this is what a life longing for and, and, and reading God's word looks like. Challenge them. Help keep them accountable. Help people around you here in this church grow in their desire and love and delight for God's word. And I'll close with this. A challenge to everyone here in this room. What is 2024 going to look like? What does your relationship with God going to look like? What is your relationship with his word going to look like? I want you to ask those questions now before the parties and festivities begin later. And next thing you know, it's Monday morning and you're still exhausted because you're up till one in the morning and it's Monday, it's 2024, and now you're off to the races. Where are you at today? And what are you going to start? What's the habit you're going to build tomorrow? My hope and prayer is every single person in this room would continue to grow, no matter where they're at, what step they're at, to grow in their delight of God's word and develop a healthy habit and rhythm of reading his scriptures. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, that is my prayer now is that every person in this room would be in, drawn to taking that next step in their walk with you. If they never touch their Bible, I, uh, Father, give them discipline and, and encourage and strength to develop that habit of five minutes a day just diving into your scriptures. If they read five minutes a day, Father, I, I hope that they would be challenged to read 10 minutes a day and 30 minutes a day and an hour a day, Father, knowing that it just continues to bring about blessing and life as we read and soak up as much as we possibly can. 
And Lord, it's not lost on me that there may be people here this morning that may still be on that wicked path because the faith in Jesus has not been professed yet. Lord, I pray for those people, knowing that they can make that decision right now to simply say, I believe in you, Jesus. You did die on the cross for my sins. I want to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that has not made that profession of faith, that has not made that decision, that they would do so this morning, setting them on a path like a tree planted by flowing, lush rivers of water. Nourishment, health there awaits them in your scriptures. I pray for City Rev as a church, Lord, that we would be a people that so love and live out your word, that we delight in your word, that it's a regular topic of conversation throughout our church as we spur one another to go on to good works and to reading your word together. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.